Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. So welcome back to Gay With God, everybody. It's another new week and another new guest, and I'm very excited to welcome Ryan Joseph Allen, who is an author, transformational coach, and speaker, sharing his life experiences, vast nonprofit expertise, and ultimately leading leaders. Ryan authentically shares his story to inspire others to share their stories, and we know all about stories here. So Ryan has navigated the nonprofit sector by co-founding, founding, and acting as the executive director for various nonprofit organizations. His goal is to lead the leaders and show others how to impact the community and world through kindness, acceptance, and love. Currently, Ryan is working on a, on wrapping up his memoir titled, and I love this title, people, My Drug Dealer Brought Me to God. Ryan is also about to start his dissertation process for his doctorate work from Xavier University, bridging the gap between the LGBTQ plus and spirituality communities with a focus on post-traumatic growth from religious trauma for LGBTQ plus identifying community members. A significant gap exists in the LGBTQ plus community and organized religion. This leads to much higher rates of addiction, abuse, mental health issues, and ultimately suicide. Through authentically telling one's story, Ryan desires to close the gap and to assist others in finding hope. Ryan traversed, sorry about that, guys, opiate addiction, severe mental health issues, and suicide. His drug dealer made this journey possible by helping him reconnect with his true version of God. In order to share his story more widely, 15 hours of his recorded memoir is being turned into a physical book, ebook, audiobook, workbook, and a raw podcast. Through this work, Ryan is closing the gap by bringing together those in the LGBTQ plus mental health, spiritual, religious, and recovery communities. Ryan believes these communities benefit from the love and guidance, formally through the workbook exercises and informally through learning from Ryan's story, how to love and accept themselves. So Ryan, welcome, welcome to Gay With God. And let's hear your story. Oh, thank you, Midge. I'm so excited to be here with you all and just to share a little piece of my story and a lot of my heart with you. Um, so yeah, there's that was a little synopsis there within <laughs> the description that you just read. It was long-winded, but uh, I'm gonna narrow that down a little bit next time. Um, <laughs> you gave away all the good stuff. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess we'll start from when I was young. So yeah. when I was about three or four, I started realizing that I was different. I was different than my brother. I was different than my male friends or any of my friends. I was different than my male cousins. And I was like, what makes me different? And I was like, well, I love arts and crafts and I love this and that. And, you know, I didn't love sports as much, even though I could play them and I did play them a little bit, but 
I was like, what is really different? So I didn't really know. And as a three or four year old, how do you really, you know, (laughs) process through that cognitively? So by the time I was six, I had my first thoughts of suicide. Um, Mm. I sat on my futon in my room. I was making an arts and crafts, of course. It was a few days before Christmas. So I was making a construction paper ring um, countdown, essentially. So there were like seven rings on it for the last seven days of Christmas uh, or until we reached Christmas, I should say. And I just had this overwhelming sense that I wanted to end my life. And uh, trigger warning for anyone who's just uh, for suicide throughout this whole talk, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there will be times of that. So um, I I thought as a six-year-old, if I took these scissors and, you know, hurt myself with them, what would happen? Mm -hmm. And um, I saw myself at my own funeral and um, it was, it was a very bizarre feeling for a six-year-old. I haven't seen it played out in front of me. I hadn't really watched any movies or heard about it too much. It was Mm. really a natural, natural as in organic thought that I Uh had. Uh Um, And I think it really stemmed from a place of feeling so vastly different than Mm. most people. And by this time in my life, I had heard the rhetoric from conservative Christian family members that LGBTQ people, gay people go to hell. And even though I didn't identify yet in that community, hearing that was really harmful because I think subconsciously I knew that I was different than my other brothers. And I didn't necessarily know what gay was, but I thought maybe I am gay or maybe, I don't know. And it just, so I know that that played a large role in kind of that foundational trauma that really Mm -hmm. set up future traumas because from there, you know, by the time I was um, 11 years old, I was drinking. You know, t- by the time I was 13, I was doing drugs. And um, from there, got into self-mutilation, um, had a couple suicide attempts thrown in there. Then I got onto heavier drugs. And by the time I was in college, I was constantly self-medicating with marijuana and weed every single day, uh, multiple times. Um and really found myself in this place of self-loathing throughout mm-hmm. the years. And mm-hmm. a big piece of that was this, this religious trauma that I felt um, from the time I was really little. And even though um, I had no one directly tell me in my family, you're gay, you're going to hell, or Ryan, if you're gay, you're going to hell. No one said anything but to me personally, but they just said it about other people. They didn't have to. Yeah. When you hear that message externally, your soul knows it applies to you, whether you've cognitively cognitively connected the gay word to you, your soul knows who you are and the soul picks up on the energy around you. So absolutely. I understand why you took it so personally. And I love the way you told that because that makes, I want that to make a lot of sense to, to everyone listening that, your self-loathing and homophobia started way before you understood the language. It starts, I believe, on the soul level and the, the, the ability for us to intuitively know who we are and how we fit or don't fit in the world. Exactly. And that's mm. how I always felt from that really young age. And by the time I cognitively knew, you know, I was probably seven or eight. <laughs> Uh, or nine that I knew I was in the LGBT community. And by the time I 
kind of came out to myself. I was maybe 11, um, but I, I didn't come out to anybody until I was um, in high school. I came out to a friend. She was a couple years older than me. She came from a pretty conservative Christian Catholic household. Wow. And <laughs> I felt safe to her. I felt safe around her to come out to her. I did. She was very accepting and loving. But there was one thing she said that fed into this, you know, feeling that I was innately bad or not good enough or was wrong or was sinful. And that's because she said, even though I love and accept you, the church says it's wrong, speaking about the Catholic church at that time, pretty openly, that's the belief that there Mm -hmm. was then, at least Mm -hmm. in the area we live in, in the Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati area, Um, you know, she said, that's, that's something I struggle with because I accept you and know of you, but I don't know if, if, um, my church does. And, and, and then she kind of stuck with that and we stayed friends for years and it was kind of similar rhetoric though. It got a little better. And it was once I was able to express like, that was kind of hurtful for me or harmful. It was like, well, I don't believe that. So don't take that as my truth. Mm-hmm. But I said, even you saying that mm-hmm. um, was yeah. really hard. But the first person you come out to says, mm-hmm. well, I, I love you. My my God loves you. But the God I get taught about in church or school mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. might not or who knows. Mm-hmm. And so that only perpetuated. Um, and I came out to a few other people throughout high school. One of those um, was as a girlfriend that I had um, and she, I love her response. She goes, well, I have family um, that are Episcopalian. So this, this is nothing to me. She goes, that's cool. She goes, I don't, I, God loves you. I love you. You're cool with me. And, and um, she goes, yeah, I'm only sad because I'm kind of in love with you. And if you're not, if you don't like girls that much, it's not going to be uh, good for me. <laughs> so there's many different ways to, and I think that's what the first person I, that my best friend, the first person I came out to, I think that was really what her thought was, but she wasn't until you get to a place where you find yourself in that situation, you might not know what you would say or do. Um, if someone came out to you and especially this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago when things were a little different and luckily things have become a lot more open and safe in a lot of places, but you know, that's not a true story everywhere still. Right. Um, Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was griping on a podcast earlier that, you know, and it and our acceptance changes with every presidential administration. It's like, okay, here are your rights. And then new administration, we're taking them all away. And it's like we don't have any stability to stand on because you never know who's going to vote which way and who's going to control, you know, those types of things that they vote on. So it it is very unstable and it feels kind of unsafe a lot of the time yeah Mm -hmm. and especially in the early 2000s that's when this time period was and Uh um 2003 or something roughly Mm -hmm. um things were just not the same and so i'm i'm hopeful because i see things progressively getting better and Mm -hmm. uh the world kind of shifting and molding but Mm -hmm. uh, back to my back to the story so um (laughs) as i came out to these people i was like shouldn't I feel better? And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I feel better or worse, but either way, Mm -hmm. I I just kept living my, um, closeted life. Um, I started dating my daughter's mother, uh, when I was 18 and she was 20 and met her at the airport. We both worked there and 
started dating and uh, really hit it off. And a few months after into our dating, I told her, I came out to her and I said, hey, I'm bisexual or something. I don't know. Really, the proper word was probably pansexual, but um, used the word um, bisexual then. And, you know, because I loved her and I was attracted to her. And so I Mm -hmm. didn't see how I could be all the way gay or I wasn't just sure, you know, I wasn't sure, but I knew that she needed to know. I thought this was your, this is important that you know this going into this relationship. Mm -hmm. So things in our relationship were pretty rocky. Let's not, we we can't sugarcoat it. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of abuse on all sides and all ways, shapes and forms. And as we were both really young and we moved in together and we struggled and she, um, she was in college. She was about to graduate. And I got the message that I said, it, it was, you need to move away and go to go pursue a passion that you have. Um, and so I went and moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is about three hours from Cincinnati to go to Western Kentucky university, um, to enroll in their meteorology program. Um, mm. that's what I was, I've always had a passion for weather. I've always mm-hmm. wanted to be a meteorologist. So this was, you know, something I did. And about three months after I moved, um, I, I broke up with her mom, at, at, with my daughter's mother at the time and said, cutting it, cutting it off. And, and this is going to be it. And um, it wasn't it <laughs> because it was such an abusive relationship. A lot of times those cycles keep going. Mm-hmm. And even when you try to break free, you can't um, mm-hmm. oftentimes until you're have the right uh, tools in your tool belt and right skills and right mental health, um, Mm -hmm. you know, stability and all of those things. So I went back and (laughs) luckily, because I got a beautiful daughter from that about, um, a year into that situation when I moved, um, that's when my daughter was conceived. So I wouldn't have my beautiful 10 year old daughter with me now if that wouldn't have happened. Um, soon after, uh, we found out she was pregnant. Uh, she was like, I want to move back to Cincinnati. Uh, mm-hmm. She had moved he moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky after um, she graduated college. And I was down there kind of doing school and doing that thing and working. And she was like, I want to move back home and be around our family for our child and, and et cetera. So I said, okay. So I surprised her one day and said, I, I re-enrolled back up in Cincinnati for school, changed my major again for the third time or second, <laughs> third time, who knows. And, uh, we, we trekked back to the Cincinnati area. I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be great. And, um, instead, um, found myself, uh, I had stopped smoking weed and stopped doing drugs for the most part. Uh, when we found out that she was pregnant and was doing really well soon after she was born, uh, my beautiful daughter, her name's Harper Ray. Um, I started smoking weed again and then started using drugs again. And, um, really fell back into that. And I also really had a huge disconnect with her mother. So we really were not getting along more than we had, we had fought more than we ever had fought our whole time in our relationship. So I decided I needed to leave and, uh, I was going to do that by, uh, being with a man for the first time. I thought that was the way that that I needed to break this abusive cycle. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't the the best way. And it wasn't the way I would ever suggest to anyone else. Um, I don't think it was a kind way to do it for myself or the others around me, mm-hmm. but I 
in my heart, I, I, I knew I needed out and I didn't know how to get out. I didn't have the resources around me. I didn't know that there was a resource center in Cincinnati, a small resource center at the time that I could have went to to ask for help. I didn't know that there were organizations that helped. I didn't know that a psychologist could help or a therapist. So I did what I thought I had to do. And that was, I was going to um, cheat on her with a man the last weekend we were together and then leave her. And it, regardless if I wanted to end up being with men or not, I said, it's just time for me to go. And this is a, this is a way that not, I can't come back from this in the abusive cycle. This is a surefire way to end, me, end this abusive cycle, which um, seems counterproductive now looking back on it. But it did get me to a place where um, that happened. And uh, my daughter's mother did find out about it. I didn't tell her about it. And she found out when I said, I'm, I'm leaving. I, I can't stay in this relationship. She was like, why? She took my phone, found messages. The whole story from there gets pretty rocky for a little bit. Um, but the main point is that I um, came out and I thought, okay, yes, this is going to be the moment. This is going to be the time when I can finally be myself mm. and the whole world's going to shift and it's just going to be amazing. And that's not necessarily the journey that I found myself on. I, I was like, Ooh, this LGBTQ community wasn't super accepting at first. And, Mm. um, I really struggled with finding a group of people. Um, and I fell into harder drugs. So I started doing opioids every single day for months Mm. and months. And one day I just got this epiphany. I was in my car listening to a song by Evanescence. Um, and I saw my daughter sing a song to me um, called Lost in Paradise. And I just mm. saw her sitting, I visualized her sitting there mm-hmm. singing me this song. And I could heal, hear her thoughts. And her thoughts were like, if my dad was around more, or if my dad wouldn't have left me, or if my dad wasn't dead, or if my dad wasn't on drugs, or if my dad wasn't wow. homeless because he was addicted to opioids. Mm-hmm. And so I started bawling and I just simply stopped drugs that day. That was the last day wow. I ever did hard drugs. But I found myself in this place of still drinking and smoking and um, party lifestyle. I still wasn't into a place that felt good or safe. Um, I just knew that it was one little step on the journey. Mm-hmm. So one night, uh, about a month after the hard drug stopped, I was sitting there with my drug dealer. Her name's Marie. And I was sitting there with Marie and she started talking about God. Um, She started sharing her story about God. She started to share how God made her feel in her heart. And I said, wow, I haven't felt those feelings since I was little. I said, but I know exactly those feelings you feel for God in your heart because I've had very similar ones. Mm -hmm. I said, but as I went through my journey, I lost my connection with God because people told me that my version of God, the God that I saw or felt wasn't, um, wasn't the God that they read about or the God that they felt or saw in their heart. So I, there was a big disconnect there and we were sitting there and I said, well, maybe, maybe I, I do believe in God. I thought I was atheist or agnostic or, you know, agnostic at best, but maybe atheist. I said, I don't really know. Didn't really think much about it. I was so focused on drugs, alcohol, and self-loathing. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Who has time to have a relationship with God when you got all that going on? <laughs> <clears throat> and so 
I, I said, well, how, how do I believe? Mm. I said, what do I, how do I believe? And, and I looked up in that moment, as soon as I said that, and there was a sign on my wall that said, believe. And Ooh. it was part of a three piece set left over from Christmas. So this is to give context. This was like April, <laughs> March, <laughs> April time. I left up this one sign that said, believe all the other <laughs> signs were put up. I don't know. There was like peace, hope and believe or something. Who knows? And I left up believe. And I said, well, that's weird. I said, I didn't really think much about it. And I just kind of went on and we finished our talk. And felt that burning in my heart, that, that uh, feeling of, of that I'm not alone. Even, mm. even in that time when I could be in a room of 50 people, 10 people, 10 group, uh, a little party with 10 or 15 people there, I would still feel alone. And I didn't feel alone in that moment. Um, I felt something. And so I went to the bathroom and I fell on my knees and put my hands up against the wall and just said, God, I need you to save my life. Um, I'm not okay. And I'm not doing okay. And I might've stopped the hard drugs, but I'm still lost. Mm -hmm. And I really need, need you, um, whatever way, shape or form you exist. I don't even know. And so, um, I had that really prolific moment, um, where some big shifts happened, but what solidified it was the next morning I was taking my drug dealer at the time to work. Because despite what everyone thinks about drug dealers is some of them have jobs and kids and families, and some of them mm -hmm. aren't trying to ruin society. Some of them are mm -hmm. like, that's their side hustle. And though we, you know, obviously, um, you know, Marie does a better job at describing her journey, but, you know, she was in a place where she was trying to get a home for her kids because her kids had gotten taken away from her and were living elsewhere. Right. <clears throat> and so really it was like, she was working full time at and, and making okay money, but it wasn't enough to supplement her what she needed. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not that she was a bad person or hurting people. Um, you know, and she don't know, she didn't, she just sold pot. So kind of some, <laughs> some, uh, reference there. I mean, I think people, drug dealers in different areas might, it's different for everyone, but I just right. think that there's a lot of stigma around, um, those people, the, the people that, sell drugs that it, that makes them an awful person or something. And I want to tell you that it's definitely not always the case. It might be the case sometimes, just mm -hmm. like anyone could be an awful person. Um, but in this case, Marie's not an awful person. She's a great person. And I was taking her to work because <laughs> she worked really hard in multiple areas. Um, and as we were pulling out, um, I dropped her off at a restaurant she was serving at. And um, during that ride there, I said, well, now that I believe, I really do believe, I believe in God again. How do I have faith? Because to me, faith is a step beyond just believing. How do I believe in action? That's what I thought. How mm -hmm. is their belief in action to me kind mm -hmm. of equals faith? And I said, you know, well, how do I do that? And we talked about it a little bit. And she goes, well, this is a conversation, a longer conversation for later. I said, okay. Well, I pulled out in the one license plate. Um, I was in the state of Kentucky at the time. The one license plate that said faith and the whole state of Kentucky was right in front of me. Wow. And I said, okay, I got that sign. I got that sign last night, God, and I got that sign just now. And ever since then, God's been giving me big and little signs, um, mm -hmm. sometimes really blatant like that, or sometimes a little bit more incognito, but regardless, the signs have been there. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> that moment, um, I had just a really big shift. And a few months later, 
quit drugs and alcohol. Um, I had a moment where I sat with a friend in my car and we talked about God and the universe and my purpose. And um, I, God came to me and said, you got to stop all this. And this is your purpose. And your purpose is to love and accept yourself so you can teach other people how to love and accept themselves. And I said, interesting purpose. <laughs> doesn't sound bad. Um, doesn't sound, <laughs> sounds interesting. Who knows? I said, I definitely am on this journey of, mm-hmm. of uh, self-love and self-acceptance ever since I was a child. And And I kept thinking things would get better. I'd come out to one person, I'll love and accept myself. I'll come out to 10 people, I'll love and accept myself. Come out to everyone, I'll love and accept myself. Come out to my mom, I'll love and accept myself. Come out, you know, stop drugs and alcohol, I'll love and accept myself, you know, and it, and it wasn't, that wasn't the case. It's a much Mm -hmm. larger journey, especially Mm -hmm. when you have a lot of religious trauma, familial Mm -hmm. trauma, um, self, self and inflicted traumas, um, all kinds of traumas. And so, and they feed on each other, they build on each other. And, and it's internal. So we keep looking for that approval and that love and acceptance in the people that we tell and in the churches. And even though we, we desire, and some people really need for the church to say, like the Episcopalians of which I am one, by the way. So yay, Episcopalians. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, we're looking for that external validation because we never had the authentic validation inside of us. We might have known who we were, but we couldn't accept it because all of the external noise and chatter and bigotry and hatred shut down our our authentic voice. And it's always been an inside job and it's very hard to do the inside job when the world is so loud with the bigotry. Yeah. And that's, and I also felt that bigotry or um, the internalized homophobia or Mm -hmm. just the um, certain vibes from the LGBTQ community itself as well. Mm -hmm. And so I kept finding myself in situations and relationships and friendships that mm-hmm. um, sometimes were, um, they were meant to be where they were out on my journey, but in the moment they were kind of hard um, oh, and they weren't helpful um, in the, in the moment, but in the big picture, you know, as we, as I believe, and I think a lot of people kind of believe everything happens for a reason and we, mm-hmm. we have to navigate through that. And part of that's our learning and growth and how mm-hmm. we take that and mm-hmm. learn and grow for ourselves. And then hopefully get to a place where the student becomes the teacher and is able to kind of help share and help lead and guide people. And so that's the kind of the next, you know, 10 years in my journey after my sobriety, I um, had about a year where things were rough. I drank and smoked a little bit here and there and had a lot of uh, wonderful spiritual experiences. I was guided to a place called the school of metaphysics Mm-hmm. Um, where I learned world religion, meditation, visualization nice. practices, and really learned how to connect with myself on this mm-hmm. really deep level. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also um, guided to some other healing modalities and some other ways that um, I could feel God tangibly. Um, nice. And that was really valuable as well. And really formed this relationship with Jesus because I was so scared for so many years to open that Bible. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I still have a trigger yeah. around um, getting into the word in that way. Mm-hmm. And so some people will say, 
Ryan, well, how do you self-identify as a Christian if you don't read the Bible every day? And I say, well, let me tell you, Christian to me means to be Christ-like. And to everything I know about Christ, everything I've learned and feel in my heart, things I haven't even learned, it doesn't, it's how I feel in my, in my soul, is that Christ was loving, kind, accepting, empathetic, compassionate. He was a teacher. He was a leader. He was a guide. And he was all of these beautiful things. And so if I'm going to try to live my life that way, that's what Christian means to be Christ-like. If I'm going to try to live my life from a place of love, compassion, empathy, kindness, acceptance, leading people to light and love, then how does that not make me a Christian? And, um, you know, so I've kind of reclaimed the word Christian for myself. And um, I don't tell anyone they have to believe what I believe or anything. I'm not a theologian and I don't claim to be one. Um, I am doing a lot of research around post-traumatic growth in my dissertation process for my doctoral degree from Xavier University, but I don't ever claim to be a theologian. But what I do claim is that God has spoken to me directly in many ways, shapes and forms, Mm -hmm. and spoken indirectly to me in so many ways. And the biggest message is always that you are loved and you are valuable and accepted just the way you are in this moment, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you look like, who you love, any of those things, none of that matters in my God's eyes. My God mm-hmm. is pure love and light. It doesn't really even take a, a form of a person per se. Like I knew mm-hmm. when I was growing up, I always saw God kind of like an older version of Jesus, <laughs> which makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if you sure. see pictures of Jesus yeah. and you're taught, that's what Jesus looks like though, as we all, well, as we know, or should know that the pictures of Jesus we saw probably were not very accurate. Absolutely um, not. Probably not fair skinned and blue eyed, nope. light haired. He was probably a darker skin tone and darker yep. hair and darker brown eyes. And um, he didn't read so, the Bible he, either. <laughs> he didn't. And he didn't read the Bible. <laughs> well, and, you know, and I never want to steer anyone away from any holy book because I think right. every world religion holy book has beautiful yeah. messaging in it. Yeah. And my favorite message from all holy books, which is universal and every single one I've ever looked at or read, and that is do unto others as they'd have do unto you. The yep. golden rule. It is yep. in every world religion and belief system and philosophy yep. that's based around love, at least. Yes. Um, and, you know, this is one of the the, the um, chapters of my book, um, and it's called The Golden Rule with the Caveat. And I'll give you a sneak peek on to what that caveat is for me, at least. And that caveat is if you don't love and accept yourself and treat yourself with respect, kindness, empathy, and Mm -hmm. compassion, then are you expecting other people to treat you? What, what kind of way, (laughs) like what, how are you expecting someone else to treat you a certain way? If you're not treating yourself that way and how do you expect to treat other people that way as well? So Yeah. The golden rule is that you must love, accept yourself, at least to some degree, beyond the, the beginning parts of that journey to really have people love and accept you. And on the other side, I don't think you can really love and accept other people until you do yourself either. So right. it really starts with you. It's all an inside job and it trinkles out. I mean, it's why, you know, the, the quote, be the change you wish mm-hmm. to see in the world is so huge, you know, from yes. Gandhi and other, other great philosophers and leaders have said similar things, but it's, it's be the change you wish to see, because when you have that change in yourself, 
then it ripples out in other areas. And um, that's something that through my faith journey and my belief system um, has really been an integral part of working on myself while also helping others. And I think a part of helping other people is to acknowledge like, I don't think anybody is to a place where um, we don't have more growth and learning to do. Right. We all are here to learn and grow. And no matter who you are, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, um, everyone has learning and growth to do until the day they die and leave this earth. Right. And I think if you stop learning and growing, that's when your your soul truly is done on your on your journey here anyway. Um, I think your journey here in this life is really to learn, grow, love, and have fun. At least the last two are what God's put on my heart and said, this is important for you is to have fun and adventure <laughs> and do fun stuff and love, love yourself, love people around you, mm-hmm. love your neighbor, love the stranger, um, love your children, love your partner, love your parents, love your whoever's around you love. And even if um, those relationships are complicated or whatever, that doesn't mean um, you have to, to like everyone, but you can love everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, love the light inside them, even though they're not showing it on the outside. <laughs> That's what I tried to do <laughs> all through the election was <laughs> fine. Go to go to the place that God sees in the other person because I wasn't seeing it. Um, so let me take you back a minute because you said you were coming out and you you thought that you might get the approval and you would feel better uh, every time you came out. How did your mom and your family handle coming out? Your coming out. Yeah. So my immediate nuclear family. We always, I mean, the rhetoric from when we were really little was, oh, you can be whoever you want to be. Whoever you are is okay. We love you and we accept you. Okay. So, of course, that's how my family was to me, Um, my immediate family. I will say I have extended family um, that were like Southern Church of Christ or Southern Mm. Baptist or Catholic. Mm -hmm. And um, it took them a little bit, um, I don't want to say longer, but it just, it was a little different vibe, but they also, once again, fell right in line. And mm-hmm. though um, it was interesting growing up, my grandparents in Nashville, Tennessee, they were the Southern Church of Christ family. The whole family was Southern Church of Christ, which is different than United Church of Christ. So don't get them. They're not the same. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> um, if you go to church there, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> they are not the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're not the same church or congregation of people. So um, you know, I heard all the time from that church, oh, LGBTQ people go to hell. Everyone yeah. goes to hell. Catholic, they, they said, they literally said everyone who's not church of Christ, they go to yep. hell. And so, oh, wow. um, you know, and I lived with, 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 um, knowing that my grandparents were struggled with that and on also other kind of things. Like, um, my grandma, for instance, said she would never vote for a woman because women, uh, couldn't take office and men had to lead women sh- weren't supposed to lead anything except oh, wow. the chores in the household. But I will tell you <laughs> at seven years old, I said, nanny, that's not right. I said, anything <laughs> a, a man can do, a woman can do just as good, if not better. What a um, smart kid you and, always were. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and they were so, and they were always kind to me. So my grandparents weren't me. I mean, they let me dress up in high heels and put fake 
uh, balloons in my shirt and, and wow. act like they were breast and put on skirts. And they didn't make me feel any other way than loved. But their rhetoric that they used a day-to-day life was LGBTQ people go to hell. Other yeah. people are less than them, depending on who you were. Yeah. Um, if you were a woman, you were less. If you were a person of color, you might've been less even at times. So by the end of their life, by the time I came out near the end of their journey, they didn't, they, they changed. Um, my grandma voted for Barack Obama. My grandpa, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, my grandpa, you know, stopped doing and saying the things that he had said. And the moment I came out to them, my grandma, she looked me dead in the eyes and she said, God loves you just the way you are. He made you just the way you are. And she said, let one person in our family or one person in general say one word to you because they'll be hearing from me and I'll be at their front door banging on that front door until they answer. She said, you are perfect. And my grandpa followed up with, we love you. We love you. You're, you're okay. We love you. So, um, and that was for him as good as he could do. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's (laughs) huge. And, and that's, and, and I always share with people that that's not the story. That's not everyone's coming out story. I've sat with people who are coming out and who just came out and who came out 10 years ago, and they're still struggling with the reactions that people have given them. Um, you know, my partner had a very different, um, he had a very different journey with coming out. It was very, really, really, really hard. But I will say in the last year, um, in the last six months, especially his family have, I mean, his mom sat there the other day, invited, invited us both into their home and let us spend the night there and stay there. And said, you know, me and her talked for three hours one day and about God and life. She said, God loves everyone and God loves you. And I'm, um, you know, so happy that I can see change. I am so lucky because on my journey, I've been able to witness people change over time. Yeah. Look long periods of time. Sometimes it takes longer than it should, but you know, (laughs) on their own journey. And um, other times where the change seems to just be happening so rapidly, where it's almost overwhelming, like Mm -hmm. um, to be in that situation where a few years ago, um, it wasn't the same rhetoric or same words being used or same thoughts even. And now hearing like you're loved just as you are and we love you as the son that, you know, you've always been, you know, we've always loved you and we love you and we're sorry. Mm-hmm. Like that's powerful. And, mm-hmm. um, it gives me hope that people do change. I don't think we can, mm-hmm. we can't go into life hoping to change people or hoping that, uh, we can control their change. But what we can do is hold, hold on to faith and hold on to hope and mm-hmm. know that we don't have control over that and give that to God and give that to our higher power, give that to mm-hmm. um, the universe, give that to mother nature, give that to Gaia, give that to whoever you believe in, whatever you, mm-hmm. even if it's, you believe in your own inner divine, um, give it to that, give it to your heart and, yeah. and put it out of your control because it's not in your control. All you can do is love. And I think when we love people and we go into it with open arms, um, a lot of times we're able to experience things differently than what if we would be closed off. And mm-hmm. it, it just depends on your environment as well. So you have to mm-hmm. be safe and you have to take care of yourself yes. and guard yourself in a way that's healthy for you and for your mental health and for your journey. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, keeping that faith and hope is, is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautifully said. So the book that you're writing 
is is going to go into so much more detail than we're able to go today. So, uh, but tell tell me a little bit about when you can expect your book to come out and how people would access your book. And let's beef that up a little bit and give people some ideas of what to expect from your book. Yeah. So if anyone's ever written a book, you know, the process is crazy. So currently I'm in the midst of my copy editor. So you have a bunch of people editing your book. And my copy editor went back and did a final read through for me and like a final proofread on top of it. Um, and so she is finishing up that today or tomorrow. I just got a message from her. Oh, wow. So then it will be going to the typesetter and the typesetter mm-hmm. then puts it into like a book format. Um, mm-hmm. You didn't see me because, but I did air quotes. They so <laughs> put it in a book format and uh, the ebook and, and all of that. And so that takes a few weeks and then it goes live on Amazon and then, um, from there you get your, I, I'm going to do a hardback and a paperback. And so those will be in my hands within a, about a month or so. So I will, I'm looking at launch date for the last week or so in September, just to be on the safe side. I'd rather yeah. give myself a couple weeks of buffer in there, yeah. but uh, the last couple weeks of September. So look for it. Then uh, you can watch my social media or yeah. website for updates. Um, but you can also pre-order on my website. Um, it will be available on Amazon, like I said, ebook, uh, hard, hardback and soft cover, and which is paperback. <laughs> and then also the audiobook will be done roughly six weeks after launch. So we're looking at sometime in, in the month of October, you'll you'll see that audiobook come out as well, which will be on Audible and all the other platforms as well. So super excited. It's been a really long process. And I had a um, manuscript um, developer who really just, she was like a guru of all things to help me through this. And I really, really appreciative for her. Her name is Fern Pesson. If you're ever looking to write a book, but you're like, not sure where to start or you're um, wanting someone to kind of really help with like the manuscript strategy. Um, she was really valuable. And then uh, Jen Grace with mm-hmm. uh, Publish Your Purpose Press mm-hmm. um, has been vital for me to kind of make this all come together. And so, like I said, I'm super excited, but it's almost like it's like right there, right at the yeah. cusp of like <laughs> getting there. And so I wish I, you know, if this was six weeks from now, I could tell you, oh, it's on Amazon. I'd be so excited, right but now. I'm still having a little bit of a jitters and but still really excited. <laughs> well, sure, sure. And you know, the thing that that I love about this story, the the story of how you came to me is that um, you know, I I joined the the publisher purpose group and uh, Jen had had put a thing on there to say, "Hey, you know, brag on yourself. Tell us what you're doing." And I I posted that I was doing the this Gay with God podcast. And man, she she nailed you. She said you need to talk to Ryan. You're like, I'm in. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so we did we did jump ahead, <laughs> but um, you know that's okay. When it's when everything's said and done, we may need to have you come back just for a refresher and let us know more about that that the book is ready. You know, we'll put it back out there again because I definitely want. Um, I want this book to be in the hands of people. And I think it's a very important story that you've lived through. And the the other thing that, that I thought of while you were talking was that um, 
you know, it's really hard. You said something about with, with your uh, wife that you were doing this, made this plan to sleep with this guy and that that would be, you know, it, that would make it happen. And that you kind of said, you know, it really wasn't the best idea, but we've got to remember that you were in addiction pretty heavy at that point. And we don't have good ideas when we're in addiction, <laughs> but I no. love the fact, I love the fact that you own, you, you own the authenticity of where you were at the time. And you just put it out there. Like this was really not a good idea. And I did it anyway, but you were also under addiction and that's not an excuse. Um, you know, but it is a, it is a reason it, there are reasons why we behave the way we do and the choices that we make, because we can only make choices based on the information we have at the time and where our authentic self is. You know, if I don't love myself, it's yeah. hard for me to really extend that gift to others, you know, and I love that, you know, where the name is on the Zoom that we're taping is love must win. And you're absolutely right. Love has to win. And the first love we have to have is in ourselves because that generates everything that goes yeah. out. And it and that's what we pull back into ourselves. We get back who we think we are, whether we want it or not. So I love the fact that you just continued to move forward in your journey. And even through the setbacks, you know, you continue to move forward and you had this force of nature in you at the age of, you know, seven, you're telling your nanny, yeah, you got that wrong. Women have power. You know, I mean, gosh, you know, who, who at the age of seven gets that? But I love the fact that you did. And, and when you look at where you are now compared to how the story started, um, you have grown leaps and bounds and you continue to to put that light out into the world. And I'm just really excited that our paths have crossed for sure. Me too. And you're not and done yet. Just, <laughs> I know. Well, that's, well, that's what I was going to expand on and say. Um, there's so much more. Yeah. So first of all, Love Must Win is a nonprofit that me and a couple of friends started uh, six years ago. And now we have tons of programs. So you can look that up, lovemustwin.org. Um, we do all kinds of things, uh, a lot regionally here in the Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati area, but also nice. some national programs. Um, also, so it was funny when you said, yeah, I didn't make the best decisions then and you're ac accurate. And um, I wish I would have had some type of resources then. And so yes. I, I mentioned that and earlier, but I also wanted to expand that there are so many resources and a part of even my book, um, I put a workbook in the back of it. So you can follow along per chapter um, and kind of work through some of your childhood traumas. You can work through some of your addictions. You can work through whatever. I mean, it's, it's really encompassing for everyone. It really um, transcends labels and it's really good for everyone. Um, it, I think it really does a good job just trying to get you to learn more about yourself and learn and grow on the journey that you're on. And if, even if I would have had a book like that, that yes. would have like, I could have read and saw, well, wow, there's some, there's other gay people out there that yeah. like love God. And there's other gay people out there that are going through these experiences. I'm not alone. I, I'm not the only one that have had these kind of thoughts, um, yeah. you know, this and that and the other. And I think that's the biggest thing is, as I just want people to take away, like, you're not alone, no matter where you're at on your journey, you're not alone. There's people here to love you, support you, to guide you. Um, 
And even if that's just getting into nature and taking a walk and trying to listen to your heart or listen Mm -hmm. to quiet your mind and let your other parts of your body speak to your intuition, which is your gut, your heart that kind of comes from the center of your chest, Mm -hmm. um, your, your, your other parts of your body that might be able to tell you things to kind of guide you. And, um, you know, you're not alone. You, you, you have people here, you have resources, you have community centers, you have community organizations, you have faith-based organizations that are affirming and loving and that you can walk into and that you would have never thought I could walk into a church and feel so much love from people. But there are places yes. like that. I mean, in almost every city, there are places, you know, even in the deep South, you might have mm-hmm. to go a little bit farther you yeah. might have to drive a little bit farther, but you're going to find there's, there's yeah. accepting congregations and people. And I never want someone to feel alone because that's mm-hmm. how I felt for so long on my journey. Mm-hmm. And I don't think if, if I wouldn't have felt that way, I, I wouldn't have had to go through all the challenges I went through, but I'm happy mm-hmm. I did because now I can sit here and say, get, get some resources, get some, get someone to talk to, go to yeah. a therapist, go to a, yeah. get a, get a friend who is really sound that gives sound, good advice, go, go, you know, ask for help when you need mm-hmm. it. You know, you don't have to mm-hmm. do this alone. You're not alone. I mean, that's yeah. the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Good for you. And I'm glad you made that point so strongly because even on, on the gay with God show page, I list the suicide prevention number because we've all had it. You know, it's like, if I can't, if I can't be me, then why am I still here? And the reason that we're still here is that our last chapter has not been written and there's always something better. I love that it it gets better project as well, because, you know, where we are in the darkest night of our soul is not where we're going to be in the next two days or the next three days or the next month. It always shifts always in and hanging on with someone to support you is always better than trying to navigate that by yourself. So when I, when I always ask my guests, the final question of what would, what advice would you give, you know, to someone who was going through the struggles that you went through coming out? The, the one thing you've already said is don't do it. alone. (laughs) Don't think that you're alone and that you've got people to support you and there are resources. What else do you wish if there is anything else, what else do you wish that, that someone would have said to you back in the day? Yeah, there's so much, but the biggest <laughs> thing would be, you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. And that, you know, God loves you just the way you are. If I could have mm. had my nanny say that message to yes. me that she said, when I came out finally, when I was younger and I heard other things come out of her mouth instead of that, yeah. um, I, I would have you know, and it only takes one person. So yeah. it only takes one person to support and to be yeah. loving. And, and I want to be that person for you now and just tell you, God loves you, no matter what, how you see God, if you see it as a mm-hmm. universal energy or creator or mother nature and Gaia, mm-hmm. or um, in another world religion or a belief system, that's fine. But God to me is a universal term for light and love. They mm-hmm. are interchangeable. God mm-hmm. is love and love is God. So mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't mean that that's what I want you to feel, but I'm just using the word God as a really umbrella term mm-hmm. that you are loved divinely. You are loved by love and you are loved by God and you are perfect the way you are. And, and if anyone has ever told you else, other, anything else than that, then that we really need to um, take a moment to realize that maybe they were coming from a place of misunderstanding or misguidance 
and don't take that as your truth. That might be their truth, but it doesn't have to be your truth. You make your own truth. Oh, that's good. That's good. It doesn't have to be your truth. Yeah. Good. Well, Ryan, my goodness sakes. (laughs) I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been so amazing and your wisdom is so profound. And I, I can't imagine the world without you in it. I mean, the light that you've put into your nonprofit and to all the work that you've done and all the people you've reached, and it's just going to get bigger. I just am so excited to see where you go on this journey. And um, as always, guys, I'm going to share all of Ryan's links. You're going to want to know this guy and follow this guy. So get on these social media links and, and find him and follow him and, and watch his story unfold. And that's going to be probably the quickest way you'll know when this book launches is that you'll have the inside scoop. So follow Ryan <laughs> and, and get the inside scoop. So Ryan, thank you. Thank you for being here and for honoring us with your faith journey story. Yeah, I really thank you so much. And thanks for giving me the opportunity just to share the love I have in my heart with you and with whoever gets the message is the perfect person and place and timing. And I'm honored to be a part of that. So thank you so much. You are welcome. And guys, thank you for listening and coming back each week, supporting and sharing and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Ryan, as I said before, please go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And that way you can get all of his links. You can see his wonderful picture. And um, because we're not doing things live at this point. So, (laughs) and um, I'm going to be posting a picture of Miss Harper Ray. So you'll get to see this adorable child who's being raised with love and openness and understanding. And I'm so excited that her generation is going to probably handle this a lot differently than we did. So if you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically gay, God has always been within you, even when you didn't know it. So you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.